Welcome to episode four of the PBSL podcast. Um, as always, I'm Reese. I'm Ashvin, and today we're joined by a guest, Anna Kim, from the PBSL program to talk about the current energy crisis happening in Texas. Yeah, so if you're uh, ready, Hannah, um, why don't you just quick introduce yourself and take it away? Um, hi, I'm Hannah. I'm a sophomore working as a program assistant for the PBSL program this year. Um, yeah, thank you for having me as a guest on your podcast. And I thought we would discuss a little bit about the recent energy crisis in Texas um, with the power outages and kind of what that means for climate change. Yeah, so basically just like a quick overview about what happened. Um, most of you guys probably have already heard, but with the lower temperatures, Texas has experienced a lot of blackouts and powder power outages along with other states in Southern US. Um, although today we'll be focusing prominently on Texas. Um, it began sometime around Monday, February 15th and power began to return sometime in the end of the week, um, although it kind of varied between different areas of Texas and it affected about 4 million Texans with more than a dozen people who lost their lives. Um, yeah, so basically that's just an overview about what happened. If we wanted to talk more about what exactly was going on with the power supply, why there was such a huge issue with the power outages, um, we would need to focus on exactly what the kind of energy grid system looks like in Texas. So one thing is many of their nuclear facilities, their coal, gas, and power stations, um, their wind turbines were out of commission because of the cold weather. Some of them had to be shut down because it got too cold. Some of them experienced um, failure just because it was too cold. And we saw this mostly just because Texas wasn't expecting this cold of weather. Um, if they had been, they would, their, um, power plants would have been, I guess, reinforced in a way so that they could endure these cold temperatures. So we see in more Northern states with the temperatures that Texas experienced recently, they would have done fine, but because they weren't expecting this it to get this cold, they had these issues where some of their wind turbines froze, um, their coal and nuclear power plants had to be shut down just because it got too cold. Some other issues included like transmission lines being down um, and then natural gas systems kind of failed. This was kind of a huge issue because Texas really relies on natural gas, um, but they weren't getting that coming in because pipes were damaged in the gas fields in Texas and Oklahoma just because it got too cold. And again, they would have been more prepared if they had been expecting this cold, but because Texas normally doesn't get this cold, they weren't ready for it and the pipes are damaged and so they couldn't get their energy. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, I've heard that normally when these types of energy surges happen, there's something called rolling blackouts, which power companies institute to kind of uh, meter the amount of power that's being demanded. And I think there were promises from the Texas companies that 
that's what was going to happen, but um, obviously that didn't happen. Do you maybe know kind of why that didn't happen or what kind of things prevented from having a more managed response to the energy demand? Yeah, so you're right in saying that um, a huge issue is just that the energy demand kind of peaked. So with it getting so cold, you know, people are needing to heat their homes. And so you get the surge in energy demand and usually there's like a limit um, that this that these power plants will have that they have kind of set ahead of time. Um, they have, they're like saying this is in the worst case scenario, we might need to produce X amount of energy. Um, in this case, those estimates were too low just because again, Texas doesn't experience this time of uh, this type of cold weather. So the estimates that the power plants had for the amount of energy they would need to provide was below what the actual demand was. So that's where a huge issue came in. Um, there are some ways that power plants could be like addressing this, this issue. Um, some people have said that this is a reason why we need to rely on fossil fuels. Fossil fuels more than um, renewable energy resources are a bit more reliable. If you look at wind, if you look at solar, you're only getting energy from those sources if that energy source is kind of on, if you're getting wind, if you're having sun. But of course that's not always reliable, right? We don't always have sunny days. It's not always windy enough to generate enough energy. So some people are saying, this is like one reason why we can't just cut off of fossil fuels um, completely. And I think that totally makes sense. And just like, we want to become like more reliant on renewable energy because it's better for our health, better for the planet, but also we need to be realistic and seeing, hey, there are some areas where it might be necessary to rely, rely on fossil fuels and that's not something that we have to like completely get rid of. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that that's a very interesting point. And I think it br brings up like this uh, dichotomy of like, a lot of people are always being like, renewable energy is always unreliable and fossil fuels are always reliable. But I think what Texas kind of shows is a lot of the energy from Texas comes from natural gas. And in order for natural gas to function or natural gas power plants to function, they require like a constant stream of natural gas through pipelines. But of course the extreme weather puts a lot of strain on those pipelines. So it becomes a lot harder to actually get the gas to these facilities. So it really does challenge the idea that like fossil fuel is like this thing that we always have. And maybe that idea all comes from the fact that like we don't really think about fossil fuels and a lot of people don't know like how fossil fuel uh, fossil fuel generates electricity. But but yeah, I thought that was a very interesting point. And then the other thing you kind of brought up was the fact that Texas doesn't usually experience this kind of weather. So I think I was wondering maybe why, why did Texas experience such a cold surge when normally it's winters are like uh, maybe rarely going below 20 degrees? Right, so that's kind of one of the direct, I guess, outcomes that we're seeing from climate change. Um, typically, so we have the polar vortex, which is a weather pattern that originates from the Arctic. 
Um, and lately, because of climate change, it's kind of loosening up and descending to lower latitudes. And that's when you get that cold surge that normally would have stayed up there. Um, so scientists are saying that global warming, which is caused by humans, is partly responsible for these shifts, although some of that research is still debated. So, but we are seeing that with warmer, uh, warmer temperatures in general and throughout the globe, we're getting that polar vortex coming down and bringing in these cold surges. So that's just kind of like an extreme weather event um, that is an outcome from climate change. And of course we see the opposite where we get extreme heat, um, something that we've been seeing a lot more in California. Uh, California and I, you guys kind of talked about this in your last uh, podcast episode on the wildfires, but just getting extreme heat now. So you're getting those extreme kind of two ends of the spectrum rather than like a more steady kind of climate that you would see over time. Right, and I think I, this the science has been clear for years that global warming causes an increase in temperature worldwide. And in this case, having the extreme cold temperatures, I know you mentioned that it's kind of still in research and is debated how related to climate change and these polar vortexes are theories that um, climate change causes the, the jet stream to bring cold air from the Arctic down to the equator. But what concerns me more like societally is I think people's tendency to look at these cold weather events as a kind of scapegoat saying that climate change couldn't be real, otherwise we wouldn't be experiencing these record low temperatures. I think part of the mindset can be combated by like the, it's climate change, not weather change. So a yearly weather event like this cold snap can't be completely attributed or used to uh, argue against climate change. But it does speak at a larger issue of people who see this record low and kind of mentally think, well, if climate change is a thing, why are we seeing this cold weather? And that really scares me, the amount of people that this has affected and how this mentality might be being spread. Right. So, yeah, that's one thing I guess we should kind of like reinforces that extreme weather events aren't, it's not that they didn't exist before climate change started or that climate change is the exact cause of extreme weather events. What we're seeing is more that extreme weather events are happening more frequently with climate change. And I think you brought up a good point in like people saying that if we have these like cold temperatures, how does that mean that the, like that the world is experiencing experiencing um, an increase in temperature. And one way to kind of explain this is not a perfect analogy, but um, you can think of it as having a fever. So our bodies, we have like a certain temperature we want to sit around at, right? And if you deviate from that, even if it's just like one or two degrees, you can get a fever, right? And it doesn't seem like a big change in the numbers, but you are getting some extreme reactions. You get chills, your body, like you're not able to function properly. You slow down, you feel tired. So with, in that same way, when the earth's like overall temperature rises just a few degrees, you're seeing like larger impacts. So just because there's like a small temperature difference in the number doesn't mean that the effects aren't going to be extreme. And we're seeing that with more frequent extreme weather events. Yeah, I think that's really important to think about when you're considering um, climate change. 
just the more frequency of extreme weather. I'd like to return to a point they made earlier about the argue like that fossil fuels are important because they're reliable in situations like these. Uh, it remains to be seen whether natural gas is more reliable like due to pipelines as pipelines as Asher mentioned. But what really struck me about that point, I think you always hear about investing. They say diversify your investment. So if one stock goes down, you're not completely um, ruined, right? I think that it kind of applies to power grid as well. So diversifying sources of power could be very important for kind of avoiding the catastrophic result of system-wide failure that we saw here. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this might not be the best example because the cold snap really affected all of the infrastructure in Texas just because of a lack of preparation for that kind of weather. But it does highlight how having a diversity of sources can be really helpful. Right, right. And that's what we also see in like solutions to general power shortage outage situations. Um, so one thing that you kind of touched on with like Texas not being prepared for this type of weather, um, there are I guess there's like two points to make. The first is, of course, they couldn't really foresee that they would get this type of weather, which is kind of the whole point of being caught off guard. Um, extreme weather events, of course, we're not like perfectly predicting the weather all the time. And these extreme events are kind of um, like can be even more difficult to predict. Um, but another thing would just be that Texas is kind of like a special case. So I mentioned that other Southern states also experienced some power um, shortage or outage situations because of the cold. The reason Texas was hit a little bit harder than the other states is because Texas's um, energy grid system is like more internalized. So they kind of control all their power within the state. You're not getting an import from other places. So in other states, if you have like an energy shortage, they can pull from grids that they're connected to in adjacent states and adjacent areas and get energy from there. In Texas's situation, they're kind of like all just one kind of standalone piece in terms of their electrical grid. So they're not able to import their power. Um, we also see kind of an example of like how important this is. So in El Paso, Texas, they only experienced like a less than five minute power outage compared to like the days in almost weeks that some other people in Texas experienced. And that's because their energy system was linked um, to other areas. So they were able to pull from there. So if you're not linked to other areas, you're not able to pull. And then you're kind of like, you don't really have any options once you get that situation. So that's kind of like one issue or is one solution that people are looking into. So in order to make energy systems more reliable, I guess, um, more able to like stand these extreme cases, they want to connect and make sure different energy grids are connected to each other. So there's like a backup to pull from. Um, another solution is batteries. So some advocate for backup power um, to be stored by utilities and homes. So you're not just getting like the up-down approach, but you're having homes themselves carry some backup power. And then of course you mentioned fossil fuels and that 
as a backup. Um, of course, in this case, we saw that it can fail with the natural gas pipes being damaged because of the cold. So of course, fossil fuels can be a really reliable backup source, but in some cases, it just doesn't work. And then we also have renewable energy backup. So something that has been kind of going on for years is the use of excess electricity to pump water behind dams. And that's kind of like storing your potential energy to use in the case that you need that again. So you're kind of having like your dam be a, a battery. So that's another thing. Also in terms of batteries and just like storing energy as a backup, one issue that they're seeing is that the technology isn't really there yet. We have like batteries can't, they don't really have like the capacity of storage that we might need if an energy crisis happens for a long time. Uh, one thing though that does spark a little bit of hope is that they're kind of comparing the advancements in technology in battery energy storage to the advancements in how solar panels, solar panel technology improved. So with solar panels, we saw that the costs were super high in the beginning. Um, when they first came out, they were totally new. And then with te technological advancements, the price dropped drastically. So they're hoping to see that same sort of trend happen in battery technology. And in the case that battery technology improves, that might be another really reliable backup power source in the case of these sort of situations. I know also that battery technology is really important in the feasibility of renewable energy itself. Because in essence, renewable energy such as solar and wind will vary by day night cycles, by weather patterns. And so having a battery that you can store the excess energy when you're having really strong winds or a really sunny day, and then use that energy that you stored in those times that it might not be the weather or sunlight in order to generate power. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to what we talked about earlier about just building redundancy into the system and increasing reliability. And I think like all those technology solutions are well and good, but what I wanna kind of focus on here is that uh, Texas isn't like a renewable energy state, like a majority of their energy still comes from fossil fuels. So why is it the case that like Gov Governor Abbott can go and blame wind energy all he wants, but the fact is that like wind energy is only like 10% of the electricity. So why did the grid system still fail if fossil fuels are so uh, reliable and whatnot. And I think it really comes back to the question of why is Texas structured in such a way such that its energy grid is completely independent from the rest of the company. And um, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of talk about this. And if we look back at the history, it's mainly because um, when federal regulations about energy usage came, came, uh, were drafted, they mainly targeted energy usage between states. So to avoid that kind of regulation, Texas decided to, um, as you mentioned, Hannah, internalize its systems very much. And the whole point of this was, has led to like the Texas energy market looking very different than maybe the, the Michigan energy market where we're kind of used to having one big company like DTE or Consumers Energy kind of just tell us what the price is and 
vertically, like just, uh, it's a very set price. It doesn't really fluctuate that much. Whereas in Texas, it's more of this competitive bidding process that's constantly happening between country, between uh, companies, between fossil fuel companies and wind alike. Um, and, and it's sort of this deregulated sort of system, which means that companies don't really have an incentive to maybe winterize their power plants or, or like look after the long-term reliability of, of the energy system or even build redundancies in because these things don't directly, directly like uh, affect the profit margin. And I think maybe that's kind of where a majority of the change has to take place because I don't think that just transitioning over to wind or fossil fuel really has much to do with this, but it's more of the kind of systemic ordering of how the grid operates in Texas right now. Right, I think you make a lot of really good points. Um, yeah, and you mentioned like kind of just the economy of the Texan um, energies, energy sources and like how that is structured is just kind of making it a little bit more difficult for this shift to more re renewable energy. Um, and like one thing I think Reese mentioned earlier with this like spike in energy demand, we probably wouldn't have seen such a huge spike if homes were insulated better, if they had um, kind of just like this preparation. Of course, like we already said like multiple times, they weren't expecting this kind of weather. It's like not normal for, te for Texas, but one point that we kind of get to look at again is that the energy market in Texas is kind of designed in a way that makes it hard for electricity producers to encourage um, more sustainable energy usage. So they're kind of just incentivized to sell power as cheaply as possible. Um, anything like cost of improvements to insulation that would reduce the energy demand um, and that kind of stress on these power plants, that's just not really happening because of the way it's designed. So if the design was so that they would be incentivizing more of these things like insulation, in the case that temperatures drop drastically or they rise drastically, like you wouldn't see as much of a change in the demand for energy to like heat and cool homes. Yeah, yeah and you can, you can kind of see like the volatility of it all. And you hear stories about people having like $2,000 power bills now. <laughs> Uh, which is in contrast, like Texas normally has very cheap electricity rates. Right. Um, but that's, of course, because there's not a lot of security in the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the deregulation of the power, um, you could call it the power business, um, it causes the people that really are needing that cheap electricity or are relying on that or even are just used to it. They are, have been buying that cheap electricity and are really paying the price for it in that those companies that are really able to charge cheap rates are the ones that are skipping corners on building redundancies and um, safeguarding their electricity networks. Um, and so you find that a lot of the people that are using that cheap electricity 
are predominantly like lower income, well, higher income families and people um, who are able to invest in more secure electricity have been affected less by this blackout just due to the increased reliability of the systems that they've been paying for. And so I think that in a sense, you can really boil this, this blackout, this um, really crisis into an environmental justice crisis in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's like a really good point you bring up because uh, it's not like, it's not just the electricity that went out as well. There's a, it also really affected the water system. And like, as we know, the when communities experience uh, problems with water systems, usually it's the most marginalized uh, communities that suddenly don't have clean drinking water and things like that. And, but even with electricity, like when we hear about people freezing to death in Texas, it's, I, it's, I feel kind of conflicted about this because when the news just kind of says like people are freezing to death, but these aren't people like freezing to death in huge mansions. They're freezing to death in, in uh, trailer park homes or inside their cars. And so it's really the most poorest members of the community that are really feeling the impacts of this. Right, definitely. I feel like that kind of puts a bit more responsibility on the people who do have that um, kind of like ability to support the people in need right now, especially because we don't like, we don't choose where we're born, like what we're born into, what sort of like opportunities we're gonna have in our lives. And so those of us who do have been privileged in some areas, I feel like we do have like a little bit more of a responsibility to be helping those who are marginalized and are being impacted more severely. Um, it's the same issue, but different people in different areas are being impacted differently. So I think definitely anytime things like this happen, we need to be making sure that we're looking out for people who might have been hit harder than we have. Yeah, and I think I think that kind of brings us into the last topic we wanted to touch on, which was the various mutual aid efforts going on in Texas right now and um, and kind of what people can do to to maybe help people in Texas or or if similar things happen in Michigan, be prepared for those kind of things to happen. Right. So there are a couple of points. Um to this topic. So I guess the first would be most relevant to Texas. There are different aids that are helping people. Um, initially with, of course, the energy crisis providing a safe place that is warm, um, but also with the water crisis, there's aids trying to help with that issue. So if you go on Time Magazine, they have released a really extensive list of different ways you can be helping, um, whether that's monetary or volunteering your time if you're in the area. Um, they do have a lot of resources for that. I guess one thing in kind of moving a little bit broader is what happens if you experience power outage. Um, if this sort of situation happens again, what sort of things should you be prepared for? Some things include just taking an inventory of items that you'll need um, that rely on electricity 
I guess like the first things that come to mind for most people will probably be like their phones and things like that. But also if you have or know of people who have medical devices that are powered by electricity, um, just checking up on them and making sure that they have a source where they can be powering those devices because those are definitely, I know we love our phones, but also um, these are definitely very important to people and their health. And so we should definitely be making sure that there is some reliable source um, that we have backed up in the case that something like this happens. And then just some things to be aware of if you experience a similar problem in the future. Um, and we saw some of these issues with people who lost their lives in Texas during the energy crisis. Um, just being aware of risks of carbon monoxide poisoning, um, being aware of risks of falling through the ice. I know it seems very obvious, but these are things that still happen and they can be prevented. Um, and then, yeah, and then disconnecting appliances and electronics in the case that you have a power outage, um, when the power comes back on, you can get an electrical surge and get damage to those devices. So of course, we don't want that. And then just general climate change measures. Of course, we all know there are a ton of different things that you can be doing and they might seem small. Um, some might, might seem big, but definitely just being more aware of what climate change means, um, learning more about it, learning more about what happens because of climate change, whether it's like listening to these podcasts or just doing your own research. Um, just, yeah, that makes a difference, maybe not visibly on like the entire global scale, but in your life and it'll make a difference in people, people's lives around you too. So those, I yeah. guess, are just some things that I would recommend in next steps. Yeah, I think that the education piece is really important just being able to know where your electricity comes from and know how prepared you are for a crisis like what happened in Texas is probably the most important way that you can prepare. And I hope, our sincere hope is that you got some of that education from listening to this podcast for the last 30 minutes. Um, but I think that brings us to the close of this episode. Uh, and we'll close it off with a fun nature fact. The fun nature fact for this week is that cows actually annually kill more people than sharks. While sharks kill an average of four people annually, cows kill um, 22. Some of them are due to road accidents, but 75% of these are premeditated cow attacks from um, protecting their feeding ground or territory, um, which is, it was really surprising to me. I thought it was really funny. But yeah, that has been this episode. Thank you for tuning in with us and we hope that you'll join us next time.